Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, two times. And if you're completely insane, three times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Extra ranch, no tomato, no cilantro. This is just a list of modifications on a signature salad from Panera. Okay, this one says, buy toilet paper in a truly gigantic font. I hate to think of the horrific event that led to a reminder of this size. This one says, warning, binge mode contains adult content. Just under that, binge mode also contains spoilers. Ugh, this just says, don't trust your D? Okay, well, that's good advice. My D does get me in a lot of trouble. And now, binge mode. Hey, Derek? Yes, Mindy? What can Derek do for you? Uh, Eleanor and I are gonna talk for a bit, so go into your nether sphere. That's Derek? Mindy has rebooted Derek more than 151 million times. Derek is now both a singular point in space, and yet Derek also contains space itself. The nexus of Derek is without dimension. The moment of Derek's creation and the eventual heat death of the universe are now inexorably the same. Ugh, you are so annoying. Hello! Yeah! <laughs> wow. And welcome to Binge Mode Weekly. Yes. Proudly part of the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. Oh! Oh! What a great oh! website. <laughs> what a great website. Joining me today. Now that he's finished saying tick-tock, Mr. Wick. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal the Bowery King is waiting, and so is today's guest. But the binge heads are not waiting any longer because we are back with a special yes. quarantine edition of Binge Mode Weekly, where as we social distance amid the COVID pandemic, we'll be coming to you once a week to cover a series of rotating topics, revisiting some past favorites, and delving into some new stories as well, while also getting to work on the next full binge mode project. More info on that front coming soon. Stay tuned. <laughs> Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us the five-star ratings, Mr. Wick. Yes. We'll alert the Continental. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group 
which is only for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to comfort each other in this trying time. Also, if you're looking to spice up your work from home wardrobe, please head to theringer.com slash shop and check out our binge mode merch. Last time on the return of Binge Mode Weekly, we answered your questions on a quarantine edition of Ask the Underscore. And today, we're delighted to say we're joined by the TikTok man himself, friend of the pod, Jason Manzukis. Woo! As always, spoiler warning, we will be going deep on various topics from across the pop culture universe, so That's proceed right. with caution. And another spoiler warning, the three of us talked forever. We, long, long time. <laughs> we talked for so three long. Hours. It was wonderful. Wonderful. And so what we're going to do is divide this conversation up into two parts. Drop it as two pods. Part one today. Part two tomorrow. So make sure you check back in tomorrow for the rest of our conversation right. with Jason. Now, let Mindy St. Clair reboot you. Because it's time for Maximum Dairy. Joining us now, you know him from the How Did This Get Made podcast. You know him from yes. the Good Place. Yes. You know him from Big Mouth. You yes. know him from John Wick. Yes. You know him from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Also, You yes. know him from being the only person ever to do an entire episode of Binge Mode with us. And now, the only person to do two entire episodes of Binge Mode with us. That's right. Our good friend, Jason Manzukis. Woo! Guys, this is <laughs> happening. It is. I it mean, is. half an hour of technical setup between the three of <laughs> us, right. plus Isaac. Thank you, Isaac. Unmute. Do not unmute yourself. But holy cow. Don't forget the 48 hours of email prep for how holy this set shit. up. <laughs> so, so thrilled to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, my God. Thank yes. you for joining us. We're delighted to have you here with us. How you doing, man? How's your quarantine yeah, how are going? You? Oh boy. This is wild. I am a I exist as a germophobic, hypochondriacal. I'm already not right. into this. I've been tracking this thing for months and been like a real fucking downer and a bummer about it to my friends who were like, what are you talking about? Don't be crazy. It's just the flu, blah, blah, blah. And now everybody keeps being like, wow, you know what? You really were like right on this. <laughs> Uh, I hate being right. I don't yeah. like it. Wait, I've just noticed that Isaac's background on Zoom is <laughs> the Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> Hell yeah. I, somehow I just that noticed baby. That. He's obsessed. Yeah. It's his favorite show. Isaac, I believe, appears to be sitting at Hitchcock's desk for some reason. <laughs> oh, really? Um, Isaac, I've always pictured you as more of a scully, to be honest. <laughs> oh, come but. on. I can't tell if that's an insult or not. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, Mel, I'm doing all right. I'm quarantined. I'm locked in my house like everybody else. I'm going stir crazy. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm organizing my records. I'm uh, organizing my, I'm doing all the, I can't get into anything that has like weight or stakes to it. Mm -hmm. All I'm doing is like mm. busy work. All I'm doing is like the stuff around the house that feels accomplishable. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to, about your, uh, being a hypochondriacal person, you've been you've been open about talking about you have an egg allergy. It's quite serious. It, you have to watch what you eat and be very careful about like what food you accept. And where this just must be. I mean, 
I'm an anxious person anyway. And I, every time the temperature changes in my apartment, I'm like, that's it. I'm coming down with it. It's happening now. Absolutely. Every time that I have to engage or interact with the world in any way, even if it is in the ways that are deemed super safe and like, for example, like I had to get prescriptions refilled. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I found a pharmacy, not the pharmacy I go to, I found a pharmacy where the pharmacist would agree to walk outside. Oh, wow. I put down the back window of the back of my car and had him just put it like inside the car. Yeah. Then I left it there for over a week and I didn't sure. touch it. Yeah, and of course. We have been reduced to, uh, there's a TV show I watch called Alone, which is my version of trashy reality shows. Okay. It's a competition show, except they take 10 people and they strand them each alone, but in the same area. So mm-hmm. the Arctic or uh, Argentina or um, Vancouver Island. And they're all very far away from each other, so they can't team up or anything like that. But the game is the last person remaining gets half a million dollars. And they tell the people who are all ex-special forces, off-the-grid livers, those kind of people... <laughs> They say, prepare to be here for at least a year. And so what you are watching is first, the game is every individual, because also every individual is their own camera crew. They don't have a crew. They don't have anything. Wow. So it's all GoPros. It appears to be all GoPros. Everybody is filming themselves. So the first phase of the game is really everybody figuring out, okay, what resources do I have? How am I going to get food? Water, yeah. I need to build a shelter. Where is the right place to do that? In depending on some people are like, when snow starts, this is gonna be a bad area to be in, blah, blah, blah. You're watching people get that, figure out the necessities of life. How am I gonna get food? How am I gonna live? Then the rest of the game, the rest of the months after that, you're watching people lose their minds <laughs> because. They're not with other people. They are losing their minds. And I feel like I'm in a real life version of Alone where I'm trying to parse and ration my food. I'm trying. And then I'm also just going crazy like, oh, I'm just not seeing people. I'm not even though I can obviously see you guys on this or talk to people or whatever. It just is like eerily like that game. Yeah. Well, we are here for you whenever you'd like a chat. And obviously, we're all digital experts and have never had any problem (laughs) getting a Zoom call to go seamlessly. (laughs) So it's fine whenever you need us. You are recording in your closet, as any at-home podcasting expert knows to do. Isaac was very proud of you. You're doing this for sound control. Jason and I are not doing that. I can hear that (laughs) echo. We're we're doing the best we can. I can hear that echo. But... You know, it does beg the question, and especially because you've been on a lot of these Zoom live streams, which we're going to ask you a a little bit uh, more about later on. What's your quarantine wardrobe like? What sort of vibe are you looking to cultivate as you stream yourself out into the world? Well, it depends. It's different for whether or not I'm going to be seen or Mm. not, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So my normal daily quarantine. Oh, here's the other thing is, is you can probably imagine I've got a lot of rules. Yeah. 
Okay. Sure, of course. So normally every day I wear a white shirt and jeans, right? right. Which is like uh I'm wearing this white button-up shirt in honor of you, in honor of having you <laughs> today on this podcast. Which I couldn't appreciate more. I'm I'm it's I, beautiful. Uh, before we started the call, I mentioned to you guys one of the absolute weirdest things for me is I've worn a white shirt and jeans every day for about 12 years. And <laughs> this is unquestionably the longest period of time I've gone without putting on a white shirt and jeans. You know what I mean? Like if I go on vacation or something like that where I'm, you know, don't need to or whatever. But right. this is weird. So the idea that I'm not wearing that uniform is yeah. is a real weird one for me. But um, what I am wearing is my house clothes. So even okay. when I'm wearing a white shirt and jeans normally in normal times, yeah. the minute I come in the house, all that goes, I don't wear outside clothes inside. Hold on a second. Do you know about the war that I have with Chris Ryan about this? I don't. He is a filthy animal who wears oh jeans at oh, home. Chris Ryan's trash. I mean, let's just <laughs> let's just let's just put that on the record. Chris Ryan is trash. Come at me, bro. Um, you know, this for me, this started as a New York thing. Mm. If you're gonna be riding the subway, yeah, if you're gonna be out in the yes. world, I Thank never you. understood when you would like go to someone's tiny studio apartment and then they would sit on their bed. Yeah. Wearing Appalling. jeans, wearing Appalling. jeans that were just like sitting on the F train, you fucking monsters, Chris <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Would you take your pillow from your bed and rub it against the back seat right. of a cab? Would yeah, you do that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know how much? Do you know how much cum is in the back seat of a cab? <laughs> like so, the volumes, the volumes of cum that are come and vomit. And then you're That's like, right. I'm going to go home now and just sit in bed and read. Yeah. Like, what? There's a hundred nations of cum on you as yes. you're sitting in bed. Yes, yes. Every New York City cab is a melting pot of cum. It's like a cum queso. I just invented the concept of cum queso. Wow. And when the Bacchanalian sex parties start happening, once yes. this is fully done, cum queso is going to be a thing. Oh, well, it's going to be wild. Me. The sex toy industry, one of the few that isn't hurting right now, pitch oh, yeah. that idea immediately. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so basically, I'm now wearing what I normally wear around the house, which is like, you know, lots of fleece pants, you know, like uh, comfortable stuff that you would wear like on a walk or a hike or something like that, like a warm fleecy tops and stuff like and a little hat and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But I also, if I'm going to be on camera, I yeah. wear different versions. Like I wear... This thing, if something with a collar versus I put this on to be on camera with you guys. Previously, I was wearing like wow. something with a hood, you know? Oh, my God. We're honored. I mean, yeah. just in the interest of full disclosure, I am wearing pajama pants. I love and it. And did not dress up for you guys, though. I did change it to a different pajama shirt. Ooh, just trying to do something for everybody. You oh, know, yeah. it felt like I also the right have step to take. different shoes for different things. You wear shoes inside the house? I have inside shoes, strictly inside shoes. So, yeah. So I have, the minute I come in, my outside shoes come off, right? Of and course. I normally wear either slippers or Birkenstocks around the house, like um, okay. covered Birkenstocks, right? Now, because of this virus, I now have 
outdoor pair of Crocs that if I need to go down to get mm. something outside, Hell yeah. that only go up and down the outside stairs or into the garage. But yes. nothing goes into my bedroom that has been worn any place other than the second Same. floor of my house. No cum quesos in your bedroom. Exactly. It's, it's zero. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, Paulie from The Sopranos. I forget what episode it was where he's talking about virus and bacteria migrate up from the sole of your foot. <laughs> Polly Walnuts, always me. a sage. I'm yeah. very seriously considering a Sopranos rewatch as a quarantine rewatch, not to segue, but. It's a perfect segue, yeah. actually. As you're usual, welcome. you're just leading the charge for us. What are you binging right now? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you playing? What are you listening to? It's so interesting. And I made a list, double-sided, oh assuming God. this is what we were going to talk about because... You're so organized. Guys, here's the thing. <laughs> I come prepared. Incredible. I don't oh fuck God. around. Guess what? I'll go on your comedy bang-bangs. I'll fuck around. I don't give a fuck, right? <laughs> I'll go on Womp It Up. I'll go on any, I'll go on The Watch. I'll go on whatever and I'll be like, <laughs> I don't care. But when I come to binge mode, I come prepared. Wow. Thank you Amazing. so much. We're touched. Here's what I'll say. And I mean this, and this is going to sound ass kissy, but you guys are like truly one of my all-time favorite podcasts. I consume your podcasts constantly, have oh. since the beginning. Oh. You guys have talked me through Thrones and a better understanding of Thrones. One of my all-time favorite things is already Harry Potter. So when yes. you guys were yeah. doing Harry Potter, it was the best. I have been re-listening to some of that stuff. Wow. Because, because I'm also still, I will, as comfort food, just put on Jim Dale audiobook Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, sure. Like when I'm doing the jigsaw puzzle or washing dishes or whatever, or just trying to go to sleep, that is a real comfort food for me is specifically the audiobooks of Harry Potter, specifically the Jim Dale ones, right? The other ones can straight up go fuck themselves. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Wow. Stephen Fry, you were on notice. Stephen Fry. <laughs> Stephen Fry, I love you as an actor, but get the fuck out of my Harry Potter. Um... So again, to credit you guys, I love the show. If people want something to binge, I would suggest choosing one of the things you guys have covered. To that end, when Amazing. you guys announced you were doing Star Wars, I was like, okay, this is already a property I know very well. And I was excited to dig into it, even though I felt like I already know a lot about this. And what was beautiful about Thrones or even Potter was you guys just had a volume of information I didn't. Little did I know, <laughs> I listened to all of the Star Wars binge modes and am now, can say, in quarantine, have watched every season of The Clone Wars animated show. Yes! And I'm now on season three of Rebels. Rebels is great. Oh my God, you're flying! Guys, Rebels is where it's at. Yeah, Rebels, it's amazing. Rebels yeah. is the star, the promise of the Star Wars I thought I was going to get. A hundred percent, yes. Like, yeah. like as a kid who grew up, you know, like I'm older than you guys. I'm 47. So Star Wars is for me my childhood. You know, like I waited on lines. I went to those first movies in the theaters. It was revelatory for me. Like it was a huge 
footprint on my life, right? Right. But it only got worse (laughs) after Empire. Empire, it's like you get a new hope and you're like, holy shit, what? Then Empire and you're like, are you fucking kidding me? And then it's Return of the Jedi and you're like, hang on a second. (laughs) And then the prequels come and you're like, you fucking assholes, you goddamn fucks. You know, and at that point, I'm in my early 30s and I'm just livid, you know. So for Mm -hmm. me, every subsequent property was a a degradation from the previous. Mm. Right. Versus when I discovered Potter, it's the inverse. Everything goes for. And listen, I'm not trying to malign the first books. It's just they are more kids books. Yeah. Yeah. The books grow with Harry. Yes, exactly. And so they only get better and richer and more interesting. And so I'd never engaged with any of the animated properties. And so now, Rebels to me is, that's what I wish Star Wars had been. The ghost? Yeah. Unbeatable. Yeah, incredible. Incredible ship. The team is fucking rad. And then when you, my first introduction to Ahsoka Tano, your podcast on Ahsoka Tano. Wow. I watched that show and I'm now like, Fuck. (laughs) Is Ahsoka Tano on any dating apps? How can I get at her? (laughs) Is there a way to slide into Ahsoka Tano's DMs is a phrase that I know exists, even though I've never used it. Get in line, man. I know. Get in line. So I've watched quite a bit of that stuff. So you like Rebels. More than Clone Wars. I loved Clone Wars. Clone Wars to me, my struggle with Clone Wars, which you guys spoke to a little bit in your pod, was it jumps around so much. Yeah, it does. Chronologically, it jumps around so much that I would oftentimes be like, am I supposed to remember something? Is this person, when did I, ooh, wait a minute. That kind of stuff made it harder for me to fall into it, except for those multi-episode arcs where you do get a mini movie, like a little contiguous beginning, middle, and an end storyline, like the Mortis stuff, like that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, The Night Sisters stuff, that all that is amazing. And but like my girl the Duchess Satine is like that storyline unreal. Just really a brave and moral leader that we could use in these times. (laughs) Oh my God, please. It's true. We were going to ask you because we've communicated with you off the pod and you, like us, just totally smitten, completely captivated by the Obi-Wan Duchess Satine romance. And now that you have progressed and made your way through, you know, how are you emotionally based on where that resolved? Devastating. I mean, that was devastating. Oh, here's what I'll say. I should amend what I said before. Since doing this, I have not watched whatever this season of Clone Wars they mm-hmm. just put out. Okay. Is. It's still airing. I still can't airing. speak to any of that, to be clear. But that, like, Clone Wars and Rebels does the best job so much better than the three subsequent movies that we've just gone through. Sure. Don't get me started. Please get me started. Um, <laughs> but so what I feel like they've done in Clone Wars and in Rebels is give me the stories I, like the Obi-Wan Duchess Satine story is such a better telling of Jedi emotional connection than Padme and Anakin, who I could straight up give a fuck about. Yeah, Like, I don't care about Padme and Anakin. They don't seem to have any kind of love story or chemistry. 
frankly, the only time that I found myself investing in Padme and Anakin was when cartoon Obi-Wan went into Anakin's chambers and talked to him about what kind of choice you have to make. I think that that's, we'll circle back in a minute to what you're, what else you're watching and reading right now since you made your double-sided list and everything. But while we're on the subject of Star Wars, I mean, we we should just talk about Rise of Skywalker for a few minutes and how that is sitting with you these months later because I think like you're saying, the (laughs) the comp to something like Rebels is really, I think, when the frustration can actually feel the most acute because it's not so much any given plot choice, but it's the pacing and the understanding of who the characters are and why they would act in the way that they they do. Why are they behaving that way? Why are they making those choices? What are the ramifications within the universe and the story that the creators have constructed? And you feel so invested in the stakes when you're watching something like Rebels. And that's just absent from Rise of Skywalker entirely. I find personally that I feel worse about the film the more distance I have from it. What about you guys? Completely agree. Completely agree. It broke my heart. It really just illustrated the folly of trying to do this without architecture or a plan in place to do it. And to be like, we're just going to do this. And then we're going to let this guy do this. And then this guy's going to... And it just, it seemed to be in the absence of some sort of guiding, overarching storyline or story structure, which, listen, forgive me, maybe there are people who are in the Disney story group or the Lucasfilm story group or people who are like, we had it, we had it, trust us, we had it. And I'm sure stuff was there. And I I believe that they, I'm not saying this was neglect or anything like that. There are very good, very smart writers and filmmakers and people, producers, so many smart people, wonderful, unbelievable actors making these movies. And... There's a great, uh, I sent it to you guys at one point, but I, and I will, I'm going to plug it right now just because one of the things that I need the most right now is just things that make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them is Star Wars related and it's a meme. It's a meme that is like, I'm not going to explain memes because I don't, (laughs) I don't quite understand memes as a not social media person, but I know it's a meme. But if you look it up, it's parentheses, spoilers, two guys talk about the rise of Skywalker. And the meme is, it's from a Spanish talk show, and it's it's two guys animatedly talking about, I don't know what they're talking about. Right. And the meme is, people write different subtitles for what their conversation is. Right. Someone has written such a brilliant <laughs> takedown of Rise of Skywalker and put it into this structure And it makes me laugh so hard that even just now in the last couple of weeks, I've watched it constantly just because it makes me laugh. And it's just testament to what good writing these guys did about to write to the um, video. It's great. Mm -hmm. But they tried to retcon things that didn't need to be retconned. They tried to answer things that we didn't want answers to. They didn't delve into any of the stuff. Because, and I'm, I am one of the people that believe Ryan Johnson's movie, The Last Jedi, is mm-hmm. actually really good. Is yeah. really same, good same. and makes same, very, very much and, the same. And Ryan Johnson's movie does something that previous to almost all Star Wars movies did, which is evolve and change and recalibrate what we understand to be. Yes. That's right. That's Star vital. Wars. 
That's vital in serial storytelling. Yes. Yes, our understanding of the galaxy. Yes. All of it. Absolutely. The idea that Ray's parents were nobody and that the broom boy at the end can be Force-sensitive, yeah. that the Force... And the Jedi are not the same, right? right? You're like, you don't have to be a Jedi to wield the Force. You right. don't have that people, anybody. That is such an important thing to introduce and to really hit on the head. And yes. to then, to not only say, hey, 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 JK, <laughs> Ray's parents aren't right. trash people. Yes. They are, in fact, Palpatines. And then double JK, she wants to be a Skywalker, so she's just a Skywalker, too. So guess what? She's in both families. Ha, 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 we win. I was like, what? That, yeah. it, it just seemed, I don't know. It bummed me out. It bummed me out. It was an extreme bummer. And it really feels like the Clone Wars and Rebels are just less beholden somehow to this kind of institutional baggage. And they can just tell a story. They can just tell a good yes. story. Whereas, you know, without a real strong spine, this last movie just kind of dissolved under the weight of all these masters that are need to be served. Yeah, that's what was interesting to me watching Clone Wars and now watching Rebels a little bit is they don't seem to be slavishly obedient to any kind of these special lineages, these right. Skywalkers and these Palpatines mm -hmm. and these... They don't seem to, I mean, I guess we have Darth Maul who kind of comes in and out of things, but like in a way that I'm like, oh, well, here's Man. the model, you know? And, and even in modern times now, we're watching them do an exceptional job of this on The Mandalorian. Yes, You yes. know, like with the exception of like, okay, do we need to go to Tatooine for this one episode? No, <laughs> but the fact that we're there doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not like so ham-fisted. And these movies... It's almost like these movies, it's like, how many meals can you make with the same 10 ingredients? Right. And they just keep making a different version of the same meal, you know? And the new movies have characters I love. There's same. characters in here that I think are great, but they don't get to become themselves. You know, they don't get to become really who they are or should be, They, in other words, you know? Yeah, I you know, we we talked about this a lot at the end of the Star Wars run. And I, I really like don't mean to be uncharitable or ungenerous because I have personally never made a Star Wars movie. I'm sure it's right. incredibly it's, hard, yes. you know, and I kind of can't shake the feeling that they just didn't trust their own story and didn't trust the strength of those characters. And I understand that a huge part of the propulsive force behind the Star Wars fandom is that nostalgia. The thing that you right. were just describing, yes. you know, that, that first attachment that you have to it. That's fine. You know, that can still be a deeply ingrained part of the experience. But part of what Rebels and, it, you know, it's not just one or two examples you can point to. The, the thing about the EU and now Legends is that you can point to dozens and dozens and dozens, literally hundreds of examples of other types of Star Wars storytelling that people have invested in so fully and so deeply. And there was already proof that all of these people in the world had really, really attached to Rey, to BB-8, yeah. to these new characters. And so much of it was this effort to walk back the choices that led to the debate that sprung up around The Last Jedi. And the thing that I don't understand about that 
well, there are a lot, there are a lot of things I, I, I don't understand about. Like, we don't have to relitigate that all here, but if Palpatine was going to be the primary villain, that wouldn't have been my first choice, but ultimately that's actually fine. Like, it's not totally, totally, totally dissimilar to, you know, spoiler, Voldemort ending up being a factor in Cursed Child, sure. for example. Like, fantasy stories return to primary villains. Right. That's okay. But you still, to this day, cannot convince me that that was the plan all along no, and no. that there was any groundwork laid to get there. That's part of it. So it just feels so disjointed. And of course, if Palpatine had to be in the story, he could have been a factor in the movie without having to be a relative of Rey, without having to be introduced or reintroduced as a plot device to undo the idea that her parents were no one, that they didn't have a famous name. And there's a little bit of a season eight Game of Thrones thing yep. at play 100%. where it's like the spectacle over everything else. Yes, 100% agree. The same kind of thing that we got into in season eight, season seven in Game of Thrones and definitely season eight was this kind of thing where so much information needed to be downloaded that it was actually mm -hmm. necessary to watch these after the episodes, various other things to understand like what was being done and that you get the same thing with Rise of Skywalker now. The only way to know that Palpatine from Rise of Skywalker is a Palpatine clone, is a clone body. Is to read the novelization. Is to read the novelization. There's, yeah. You have to pick through all these other ancillary sources right. in order to understand what the story actually was. And that is just a right. symptom of bad communication, bad storytelling. And again, there are many, many talented people that work very, very hard on that project. And I, and I want to be very know. clear on that too. And and this is something, you know, like when, you know, like even talking on how did this get made, the podcast yeah. that we do about movies, I want to be clear, like there are genius level people yes. working on these movies. You know, like the fact that it is not to my liking does not mean that these aren't people who are working at the top of their game, mm -hmm. trying to make something that is a massive endeavor in, again, a short window. Because right. a lot of their bigger problems are release windows. Right, hit that They date. are being told the next movie comes out this date. Right. You've got to make that date. And right. so they're not able to, you know, one of the reasons I think Blade Runner is so good is there's a strike as they're right about to make Blade Runner. And, mm -hmm. right? Is it Blade Runner? And for a year, nothing is done. But Ridley Scott, I believe, this might be apocryphal and I might be spreading a, a rumor. <laughs> so I apologize. This is either true or embellished or it's about a different movie and I've remembered it wrong. But one of the things is, one of the reasons Blade Runner is so good and looks so good is he continued to pay out of pocket the artist's to keep making the stuff they were doing so that when they came back, they were so much better prepared. Interesting. When oh, I they think were I, able I, to I, then I'm do I'm looking it. that up. It turns out that was Porky's. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the problem was they were able to actually drill a hole between the <laughs> right. boys' room and the girls' room. <laughs> right. It was a practical effect, right. you know, because of the strike. Uh um, yeah, it's interesting because it, I was just watching TV the other night, flipping through channels and caught a bunch of Last Jedi. I caught like mm -hmm. the last, probably the last 40 minutes from the Red Room fight oh, yeah. till the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. 
like that red room fight is a memorable fight sequence. It's beautifully oh, shot. Know? Everything about it is incredible. It's a memorable fight sequence. It's choreographed beautifully in a way that, for example, you know what should be just as memorable? Kylo Ren versus the Knights of Ren. Yes. Like, if they're going to be the biggest badasses, let's see that showdown. Oh, right. my God. Let's have the movie open with them being badasses a yeah. as a team. And then he has to dismantle them, each of them the best at their own thing. Fuck, right. that would have been awesome, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would have loved that. Because, because one of the things that I do like about these movies is the Ray kylo Ren connection. I like that Same. Stuff. <laughs> Absolutely the Tell. heart of these movies. I really like their relationship. I, yes. I like that they are like the two people that we're following the most yes. are both representative of the light and the dark and are close to each other. You know, that's something you never got in the original trilogy. That's something those people, those bad guys existed outside. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is exactly it because Man, now I'm getting really pissed again. <laughs> like my heart is racing and shaking with rage. But their relationship, well, it doesn't matter if you shipped them or thought it was romantic. Their relationship was the heart of this trilogy. And the leveling up and exposition that we get in the final installment is that they're a dyad in the force. Yes, which is... And it's just classic... Deus Ex Machina, like, what's the setup there? The setup might be there, but you don't follow through. When you're introducing new mythology, you know, we talk about this all the time, you have to fully explain the rules of the universe so that people understand right. what world the story is operating in and how everybody is being held accountable and, and how all these forces are connecting, quite literally, in the, in the case of Ben and Ray. And then, you know, to your point about the morality of those characters and this fact that so much of Star Wars takes place on this binary and how really, really, really thrilling it is in the rare moments where you get to see a character or a moment in one of the stories grapple with the fact that it, life is very rarely that yeah. cut and dry, right? You very, very rarely exist totally in the black or totally in the white. It's all gray all the time. And that's why a moment like Ray destroying the transport was so electrifying. Oh my because God. The, the fact that she was capable of doing that and how, whether it was conscious or not, deliberate or not, the fact that she would have to go forth in her life grappling with that, reconciling with the fact that she had done that. And then they're just like seven minutes later, Chewie's, yes. Chewie's alive and nobody ever thinks yeah. about it again. Yes, no stakes. There was no, no stakes zero to stakes. it. I was like, kill, as heartbreaking as it would have been, that's the moment in the movie that I stood up and was like, okay, yes, this movie is good now. Right. You know, kill because Chewie. I was like, finally, you guys are making moves. Take a kill shot. Chewbacca. Yes. Holy yes. shit. You killed Chewbacca? That's a fucking badass move to make in a beloved movie yes. franchise like this. When they took it away, I was like, oh, we're totally fucked. We're totally fucked now. They killed beloved characters like Num Num, for instance, but they killed him like <laughs> off screen. You find out later that they died in the battle. It's like, wait a second, what? But this gets back again to your Game of Thrones season eight, you know, same problem. Season eight of Thrones, there should be like two people left alive by the end. Zero. <sighs> Every single person, everybody is still alive. What? Well, wow. listen, I mean, I'm still mourning my darling Jorah, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> true, but. true, true. Yeah. But I mean, like, Jorah Mormont, like, we're so prepped for his death because yes, of his grayscale. 
You know, but like no surprising deaths, no deaths that we didn't see coming. No, yeah. no. I mean, even, you know, obviously Danny, Cersei, Jamie are, are, are Titanic yeah. characters, but I, I don't think anybody who had watched the show for any span of time went into season eight thinking that those characters would, would live through the of end. Of course not. Everybody, like we don't lose any Starks, basically. Yeah. That was another bummer for me. I was like, oh, this did not land how I wanted it to land. And again, I think probably because they didn't have the architecture of the book to follow through with, but it felt as though it was cobbled together the mm-hmm. same way that the Star Wars movies felt cobbled together. Like, what about this? Or what about that? Or uh, this and that? And what about these guys now? And, you know, it didn't feel like coherently plotted in a way that was, again, helping me, the audience, understand the who, what, and where, and why of the events I'm watching yeah. unfolding. It's just like, oh, now we're here because of this, and uh, we gotta go. <laughs> yeah. See you later. Have either of you done an entire Thrones rewatch yet since season eight? Uh, no. I've thought about it, honestly. I've thought about it, but I just, it's it's still too fresh for me. It really hurts. It <laughs> legitimately hurts. It hurts. I know. I know, buddy. It does. I'm like finally at the point where I'm close to th- thinking about it. And Interesting. I, I don't feel any differently about the the story now than I did. And it's been nearly a year, you know, mm. the, the season and series finale aired May 19th. So we're, it's, it's April now. We're very yeah. close. We've been processing this for 11 months at this point. And my primary emotional response now when I think about Thrones is just, you know, immense gratitude for same. The shared experience, basically, and everything that it did for us. For us as, you know, like, I'm grateful for it because it brought, like, you guys into my life. You know what I mean? That's so nice. This is the exact same. Jason, as I I told you, as I told you when we had drinks before all of this really, really happened about a month and a half ago now, I used to watch you at UCB underground on the UCB stage and be like, wow, this is incredible. Imagine this. So to know you as a person through this is really an amazing thing in my life. Oh, it's crazy. And Thrones is like truly, you know, one of, if not maybe the final, although now maybe as we're all quarantined, that will change. The final thing that everybody watched together and talked about and dissected in a way as a culture. The last bit of monoculture. Yeah. Yeah. And that really was something that I grew up with and something that felt very much like I enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking about it with friends and listening to podcasts like yours about it or whatever. Having that as something to unite around, it was exceptional storytelling. Yeah, the community that sprung up around it is just like a a really rare and precious gift. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm wondering if, you know, when we rewatch it all start to finish next, like we'll feel any differently Mm. about it, you know, now that we know what's coming and the, because I don't, at least for me personally, I don't know that there was anything I went into as a fan with higher expectations than season eight of Game Game of Thrones, other than Deathly Hallows, the book, the final Harry Potter book, like nothing really can compare to those. And now that I know what I'm going to get, maybe I'll be able to handle it a little bit differently. I still think the same things will will gall me probably for the rest of my life, but I'm, I'm curious to see what that experience is like. I'm eager to do it simply because spiritually, I kind of feel like the story ends with Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast numerous times. I I feel like Jamie Lannister is one of the most miraculous characters in stories. The place that he starts 
to where he gets taken and where he takes you is incredible. This is a pure villain, arrogant, rich boy villain who throws a child out of a window while fucking because his- Because that child catches him fucking his sister. Because he just saw him queen. fucking his sister. <laughs> He's a bad guy. And next thing you know, late season two, season three, season four, you're like, I, I love this. I'm pulling for this guy so hard. This, this is one of the most misunderstood people. You know, that bathtub scene- with Brienne oh is like that Harren it's Hall. unbelievable when he lets her in and and you really begin to realize how everything that people think about him is completely wrong and he's just so defeated by that he has no interest in defending it he's like let them think that yeah when he lets you in and they're in that bathtub and it's just him and Brienne and Moaning Myrtle and they're in the <laughs> bathtub and they can't figure out how to open the oh, egg God. and they're not sure what to do. <laughs> Everything's just all the oh, same story. Man. I, I, man, that's a mashup I would honestly love to see. That sounds um, incredible. No, but you're absolutely right, Jason. It really is. And I come at Thrones, I read no books, mm -hmm. like zero, zero read books. Um, <laughs> so I came to the show only and then through your podcast, understood better contextually who and why and all the story, the backstories, because yeah. you guys would kind of really bring a lot of book knowledge to those episodes, which I was grateful for. And so for me, I only understood Jamie as he was depicted in the show. And still right. that journey is unbelievable. And that is something that you have to pace out in a society and a culture now that does not want to take its time. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is again, maybe I want certain outcomes in the stories that I invest in this deeply, but I don't expect that I'm going to get the thing that I'm rooting for. I just hope that the story is told in a way that like honors the time that we all spent together to get there. Right. And the thing with Jamie, and I think, Jay, you're right, that he's still the most emblematic of, well, Daenerys, obviously another chief example, and Bran, of course. Let's not forget Let's not forget Brand the Broken, but so emblematic of the shortcomings of season eight, especially when you think of something like the second episode, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and the, the astonishing highs of that moment of pure humanity between Jamie and Brienne, and that second where they, it's like, I, listen, I'm not going to lie, I really enjoyed watching them have sex finally. I thought that was great, and I wish we had gotten more of that, but just a super it was also cut, just a 48 minute <laughs> super cut of just that. <laughs> that would have been fine with me, but it was also like, Nothing was more intimate than when they just looked into each other's eyes. And much like back in the bath at Harrenhal, you realized that there was somebody who saw them clearly for yeah. one of the first times in their lives and how much that meant to each of them. And so the thing with Jamie that I haven't really been able to shake is <sighs> I think it actually is okay if that's the end point. If he sabotages this happiness with Brienne and he goes back to Cersei because he is just constantly trapped in this web right. of his own making. And because crucially, he thinks, he th it's, it's not about whether we think he earned redemption. He doesn't think that he deserves That's to be it. loved. That's it, correct. But the show never had him ask those questions. Right, right. The show never took the time for that reflection and those conversations. Right. And that is what was missing. I agree completely. It's not that the show didn't end how I wanted it to end. That's not it at all. 
It's just that the way that certain characters ended, I didn't know why or it didn't they didn't do a good enough job delivering to me. Like it's not satisfying because yes, to your point, what a progression, what a character to then have him just be like later like right. ride in inexplicably seemingly arrive at like one of the most hidden entrances <laughs> um, and and Euron Greyjoy is right there like being rough. like guess what we're gonna fight now uh, okay and then he and Cersei die like because a roof collapses uh, and arbitrarily they could have just been like uh oh and walked over there and, you know like all that <laughs> I would have rather they murder yeah. suicided each other or I don't know what, like something that demonstrated to me something with closure for them or rob me of closure, but yeah. in, do it in a meaningful way. I don't know. So that's interesting because I guess the nature of their death specifically is one thing that I've found myself softening to slightly. But again, it's so much of it is it, it's not about the choice. It's about the execution. I think that there is something symbolically quite apt about especially Cersei being crushed literally by the weight of her ambition, which is what the Red Keep always represented sure. for her. Yep. And Jamie basically being the collateral damage because he thinks his whole life has to be defined by being by her side. The problem there is that Cersei's entire final season arc is like four and a half minutes of her looking out of a window. You have one of the most rich, nuanced characters in the history of literature. And that's all we get before her death. Like I, she I barely drinks wine in season yes. eight. <laughs> barely drinks wine. There were some elite, like this actress is not in a room with the other people in the scene stuff going on. Oh. In that Dude, season like, that the rock in the final seasons of ballers level, like <laughs> yes, you had like, 12 hours with this person and they were never near another individual. So I think that there, I think we'd find out like later that maybe there was like Wait, other things going on. But Mal, you're yeah. watching the later seasons of ballers. Uh, Mal is it's a just, maniac. <laughs> it's just you and Elizabeth Warren are the only two people watching that. Yes, I have watched. Every second of Ballers, Jason had, <laughs> was very kind. There's a, a like pretty protracted plot line in the final season that involves Odell Beckham and Hype Beast and footwear. And I recently, like in the last year and a half, became obsessed with sneakers. So Jason would allow me, he would indulge me as I just text him about whatever new sneaker was oh, on that episode funny. of Ballers. But, you know, one of the things that I do at The Ringer is I oversee our NFL coverage at the website. I at least like six or seven times have brought up ballers in an informal NFL planning meeting. I'm like, did you guys see what they did with Patrick Mahomes' contract in the final season of ballers? And I just have like two dozen people looking at me like they're so mortified for me. One of my most our most cherished exchanges in the binge mode studio of late has been we were talking somehow ballers came up and I was like, you know what? I checked out it's like season two or whatever it was. Let me just I have no interest in getting back in. But since you've taken this journey, what happened with this? And Mal just downloading me on this. I was like, okay, what happened? What happened with the tumor? He had a brain tumor, didn't he? What happened with that? And Mal's just like, they just went away from it. Never came back. What about now? He was addicted to opiates, right? That happened, yeah. right? He was he was addicted yeah. to pills at one point. Yeah, they just stopped. They just stopped doing that. And then she and then she dropped bombs the on me. Like, play a bit at the end. She just dropped a bomb on me like he was trying to buy an NFL team. A season, he, did. Like, he, 
He bought the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, but this was after the whole plot about the Raiders and the stadium construction in Las Vegas kind of got derailed. So what happened with the brain tumor? That's just gone. So you're thinking about the concussion history. Okay, yeah, sorry. Mixed in with the pain pill addiction, Mm -hmm. right? The pain pills do come into play as leverage against Spencer. This is all just the (laughs) Rob Corddry character, right? (laughs) Uh, If if only he, Joe, ends up splitting with Spencer. And that's where the Odell Beckham shoe hype beast thing comes into play, actually. He ends up involved in an action sports company that (laughs) there's a whole thing with surfing. There's a lot of surfing. There's a brief point in time where the the whole show centers on the idea that they're going to take down the NCAA and stop amateurism. And then it's just never mentioned again. That's the Russell never. Brand character, right? Who's like the- The, the action sports, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, wow. I gotta say, it is awful, but I watched every second of it. And Amazing. I, I refuse to apologize. So, I love you know, it. You need comfort food every now and yes. then. And, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that does actually get us back an hour later to our very first question about- Great. <laughs> what, yeah, what else I is still, on that list? What else is on there? I've still got a list, guys. Um- <laughs> Oh, so there's so many shows that I have missed out on because there's obviously we all know there's just too much to watch. It's too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Too much to watch. Too many things to put our eyeballs on. And I'm very busy watching all of Clone Wars and Rebels. So (laughs) no, but there's been shows that I've missed, but I'm finding it hard to like get into like headier shows like Killing Eve or things that are whatever. So I find myself wanting to watch like somehow I've watched four seasons of Shit's Creek, which Great show. is terrific. Great show. Really enjoying Shit's Creek. Um, this is a big one. The other thing I want is things that make me laugh, things that mm-hmm. are really funny. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was obsessed with and have now watched multiple times Tim Robinson's sketch show, I Think You Should it's Leave amazing, on yeah. Netflix. Oh, yeah. Now I just go through and watch specific sketches because there's Tim Robinson was he was a writer and a performer on SNL for many years and now has made this show uh, for Netflix, which is all just sketches. And it's phenomenal. What are some of your favorite sketches? There's a sketch where it's basically the Sun Records studio in (laughs) Memphis. And it's like a gospel singer. He finishes singing a song and... uh, and the guy's like, you know, we're not looking for those kind of gospel songs anymore. We're looking for originals the kid wants. And and so he starts singing like a murder ballad. The the <laughs> singer starts singing a murder ballad. And Tim Robinson, as the bass player, starts interjecting with his own song lyrics that are all about <laughs> skeletons coming up from underground. And, and it is the funniest. I'm not even going to bother trying to sing the song because just please discover this yeah, sketch. It's amazing. It's amazing. But... What I want to shout out is it's very hard to find. Comedy Central put out two seasons of a TV show called Detroiters. That oh. is Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson, right. who are both come best out of uh, Detroit. And right. they are best friends who yep. run an advertising company in Detroit. And there's two seasons of it. It's on demand. I found it on demand. It's Comedy Central, so it's very hard to find streaming. But mm-hmm. it's on demand. And it is, if you liked, I think you should leave. Detroiters is the exact same tone and it's next level hilarious. 
I'm delighted to tell you that this is a show we have covered on The Ringer. Ben Lindbergh wrote about this for us in 2018. So everyone should go check out Ben's article as well. Can I just so there is so much stuff out there. You told me about a show that you were in called No Activity that's on CBS All Access. Correct. And the cast is like a 1927 Yankees murderer's row of, it's like you, Will Ferrell, Tim Meadows. Uh, Jesse Plemons, Amy Sedaris. It's stacked. It's J.K. Simmons. It's bananas. Jake Johnson. And it's like three seasons. Never heard an inkling of this show. It's wild. Well, this is, you know, and you guys talk about this sometimes as do a bunch of the other, like the watch guys talk about it or big picture yeah. guys talk about it sometimes. We are at a time now where there is just so much that stuff gets lost. And there mm-hmm. are services, CBS All Access being one of them, where CBS has their own streaming subscription-based streaming service. So you have mm-hmm. to pay a fee, but right. there's not a ton of content on it and not a lot of people subscribe to it. But it's mostly Star Trek Discovery is there. That's their big thing. The Good Fight is there. Mm. And a couple of other kind of ancillary things. There's There's some good stuff on there. And also all of CBS's and Showtime's programming and all right. the parent company, all that stuff. Right. But they did this. It's an Australian format. These guys, Trent O'Donnellan and uh, Patrick Bramhall, who plays the lead character, did this show called No Activity in Australia and adapted it here. And it's there's three seasons of it. And it is all amazing actors and comedians. And it is just... The setup of the show is you're watching two people sit and wait for... It's the conversation while you're waiting for a thing to happen. So oh. season one, Jesse Plemons and I nice. are in a shipping container. We're bad guys. <laughs> and we're waiting for a call to be told what to do. But every time you cut to us, I'm just telling stories about my mom's cat has got out. And I got to help her find it. And he's oh, upset. No. He's got problems with this. And and it's just the conversation. And, then, and then it'll be Tim Meadows and Patrick in the front seat of a cop car. They're having a conversation. So the show is just bouncing between isolated two-person scenes. And it's, it's great. It's amazing. Love it. That's great incredible. Plemons, by the way, only playing bad guys now is just an incredible development in all the of best. our lives. He's I the absolute him. best. I mean, the kid is just unstoppable. I love him. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to look at my list. Okay, Detroiters. Okay, so one of my other go-to favorite shows that I will re-watch over and over and over again just because I think it's the funniest thing is Matt Berry's show, Toast of London. It's okay. on Netflix. Matt Berry is a British comedian who, who's been around for years. You will see him and be like, oh, right, he's on What We Do in the Shadows right now. Oh, yeah. He was in the IT crowd. Mm-hmm. He did a show with Rich Falter called Snuffbox. He's part of like that whole cohort of guys that come up at the time of like the Mighty Boosh and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Him, Richard Awadi, like all those guys. Um, so just just to clarify for all of the the people who have been following you since the league, this is not fantasy football, oh, fantasy baseball. Right, right, not God. yet. Right, not Matthew that Matt Barry. Barry. Right, right. Isn't that not interesting? Not the talented Mr. Roto, right? A different Matt Barry. Only, that's hilarious, only (laughs) here would that be confusing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because that Matt Berry, Mm -hmm. I don't even have a concept of. 
Like, oh, man. Like, the, if you said the name Matt Berry to me, I'm only thinking of the British comedian. I feel, <laughs> I'm so not a sports person that that didn't even occur to me. And, he, and Matt Berry was on the league and on our podcast, I believe. We're going to get you into a binge mode fantasy football league with us. And then you're going to, before you know it, well, Please. you'll be reading Matt Berry, but you'll also be reading Please. all of the Ringer fantasy content. Listening to fantasy football. You don't want to see that side of Mallory Rubin. Let me just <laughs> say that right now. You don't want to see it's that re- It's not really good. dark. Yeah, it's really dark. dark. It's not, I am oh, a I'm monster. Oh, I'm, I'm certain a monster. you are very competitive. <laughs> I, I honestly shouldn't be allowed to participate <laughs> in fantasy sports. It's like not good for my blood pressure. It's definitely not good for my relationships with people. It's terrible. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, so just to finish on that, Toast of London, absolutely worth a watch on Netflix. It's fucking, it's absurd level hilarious. And then Matt Berry has just had a new show come out on IFC called Year of the Rabbit. It's another like absurd you know, but he plays like a, a turn of the last century police detective in London, and it's hilarious. It's, I just watched, uh, there's only, I think, six episodes of that. Six episodes is great. The flea bag model there. The whole, yes. whole the old British office extras. I love it. It's the best. And it, if people are looking for stuff to get into that is really funny and really silly, but isn't a huge commitment, British series are usually yeah. six to eight episode seasons. Yep. Two to three seasons total. Yes. So you can watch all of the British office or you can watch all of these shows. Fleabag is only two seasons. There's a lot of those models. And if you go back, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, if you do stuff like really like, I mean, if you want to talk about the Mighty Boosh, we can talk Mighty Boosh for (sighs) days. But like seek out the Brass Eye, Chris Morris's show. Seek out Time Trumpet. I'm talking about really weird British comedy from like the early 2000s to now. Like Charlie Brooker, who created Black Mirror. Mm. Yeah. He's created so many shows prior. He made a show called Nathan Barley with Chris Morris. That's amazing. He's done so many great things prior to Black Mirror that are worth tracking down. And a lot of that stuff is now available to stream that was not real. That was very difficult to get your hands on back in the day. You know, we used to have to get like, region-free DVD players just to get something from Kim's. Don't worry, Chris Ryan. I know you used to work at Kim's. Give it a rest. Give it a rest, ex-Kim's employee, Chris Ryan. Um, And you'd have to get a region-free player to play the original Ollie G show or whatever. Mm, But a lot of that stuff is now available, which I love. Um, Oh, if you're looking for grand-scale wild fantasy world to dive into. Hello. We always are. And you can get over the initial hurdle, which you're going to understand what it is when I tell you, one of the most visually stunning and unbelievably shot and constructed TV shows right now is The Dark Crystal on Netflix. Oh, Oh, interesting. Holy shit. Louis Leterrier directs all of it. It is... Like, the construction of the world is unbelievable. And the shot structures are huge, long wonders through these miniature worlds that they've built with these puppets. And it is, it's mind-blowing. It is, and it takes you a minute to kind of get accustomed to the marionette element of the characters. But once you do, you're just in, and it's, beautiful and it's awesome it's very much worth watching oh that sounds quite compelling i'm gonna check that out 
And then I'll give shouts to the, I didn't watch it during quarantine, but I watched it a couple months ago when it came out. Because you guys talked about Gendy Tartakovsky when you were talking about his Clone Wars. Yeah. He had a new series come out last year called Primal that is only six episodes that is about a caveman, um, not a caveman, like a, a Neanderthal man who befriends uh, like a dinosaur and the two of them like go to war against the primal world. And it is, there's no dialogue. It is just exceptional animation. It is beautifully done action storytelling, visual storytelling on a level that you're watching just like a master at work. Like, yeah. like if you think Samurai Jack does a lot with very little dialogue, what if you took dialogue out entirely? Oh, it's wow. awesome. His aesthetic, his style is just absolutely revelatory. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's impressive. And it's a beautiful story as well. But it's it's also just great action set pieces that are unreal. Wow. So you're not watching Tiger King. I did watch <laughs> Tiger King. Since last we spoke, I have finished <laughs> Tiger King. Are you serious? Yes. Well, that was yesterday. <laughs> I know. You know what? Guys, again, I come I prepared it. for I, binge mode. My God. This is amazing. I also wa I watched four more episodes also after we exchanged that text because I, wa I was trying to prepare for just such a moment right here. So, Jay, you don't have to give us quite the heavy sales pitch you thought, I guess. Let's get down to brass tacks then. Where do we stand on a few core questions of the Tiger King story? Are you going to ask about Carol's dead husband? Boy, <laughs> boy, would I love for that guy to just surface right now. It would be amazing. What a flex <laughs> from him to be just like, oh, right? what happened? Have you guys been talking about me? I'm back. He Hi. should just start a podcast. I'm back. I heard you guys are looking for me. Yeah, I've I been in Costa Rica. What are we talking about? What's, what's going uh, on? Catch me up. Catch me up. Oh it's been God. hard to get back with the virus. I haven't been able to get on a plane, but I'm back now. Has anything <laughs> been going on? Any new updates with wild, weird characters? <laughs> it really is like watching that show, and I enjoyed it, but to watch that show is like every introduction of another character feels like another SNL character has arrived <laughs> to the thing. And I was like, this is like a hat on a hat. We can't yeah. keep doing this. Like, everybody is a fucking yeah. nut. The drug dealer <laughs> bottle episode where, uh, you know, this guy is like, uh, casually drops that he believes he's the model for Scarface. That yeah. was where oh. I was like, wait, why is he here? Why do we need him? Yes, yes. It was almost like you at times... Like, could hear the documentarian being like, oh, boy, I can't believe I found this one, too. You know, like, it really is. Every step of the way, you're like, this is fucking. But then everything is answered by, it's Florida, baby. It's, it's Florida. Florida. It, yeah, 100%. The show might as well just be called Florida. It's like, doesn't matter. But so much of it takes place in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's true. That's I, true. I found it very interesting. <laughs> well, before that, I just want to say that my favorite, on reflection, my favorite part of the series was when Joe is very nearly mauled by a lioness, I believe, grabs his boot, drags him across the pen. No one lifts a finger to stop anything to come to his aid at all. They just keep rolling on this as he's being dragged across an enclosure, eventually has to pull out his revolver and fire it very close to the cat's head in order to get it to drop him. And then as soon as he turns his back to try and get out, 
The cat's then sensing weakness or like stalking him. And then he goes on this long tirade about how he believes Carol Baskin was somehow behind this and had uh, drizzled something on his boot to make it appetizing to the cats who would never, ever turn on him. And then they ask Carol about it, which which I and you know what? I believed it. That was unhinged on Joe's part quite clearly. Like he's paranoid. But then when they ask Carol about it and she's like, what? That's just crazy. How would it, you know, like, I guess you could put anchovy oil on that so the cat would <laughs> would, would like it. But but why would I do that? How it, She just casually drops exactly how you would do that. Yes, that's like with the changing of the will. So upon my death or disappearance. <laughs> that's that's Carol! Some, that's some <laughs> wild <laughs> stuff right there. Yeah, <laughs> Carol, come on, Carol. <laughs> because the other thing is what I love about watching it, and here's a segue, Mal, to you, is you're watching dumb people try and pull off stuff that is just way beyond their scope. Yes. You know, they're not thinking multiple steps down the line. The way that if you were writing it as a movie or as a TV series, say an Ozark, you right. would write right. it so that the math added up for right. all the players. And right. what you have here is everybody's operating a different con yes. poorly. Yes. Everybody's doing their own con differently and poorly. Everybody's is executed terribly. The idea that multiple people are doing multiple investigations and there's no, it's awesome in that regard. Yeah, Joe's defense that he was bamboozled and somehow taken in by this con artist and led down this primrose path so that he would then hire a hitman in order to take out Carol Baskin and he didn't actually want to do it. Someone just goaded him into doing it. And it's like, man, you're on video on your show a dozen times, two dozen, three dozen times threatening to murder. <laughs> oh, like, at least. Like, and like how many times in a series, in one series, <laughs> can you successfully evade any kind of incriminating evidence by just burning a building down that has everything inside of it? <laughs> that, that was shocking. That so was one of the much things that, arson. It's oh my like, God. Jason had mentioned the arson as one of the hooks to try to get me to watch. There's so much more here than animal harm, though, of course, he neglected to mention that all of the alligators burned alive inside oh of God. the studio. I will say I really am distressed watching it as batshit crazy and, and bonkers and riveting as it is. I just can't stand seeing bad things happen to the yeah, animals. Like that when the Jeff Lowe character is introduced and he puts the tiger cub in the suitcase to take around Vegas. I was like sh- screaming. I it was, was so crazy. upset. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Let's quickly talk about another show where bad things also happen to animals occasionally. But despite that horrifying variable. I have fallen so, so deep into Ozark. I want to know what I can do to get you guys to join me on this journey. That's I just need I need two minutes to ask why you stopped watching and how I can get you back. Well, I'll tell you why I stopped watching. I stopped watching because the one thing I appreciated about it was its pace. It really just goes 90 miles an hour right away. It's like, oh, you're an accountant. He's an accountant for drug lords. Oh, by the way, now he's got to move back to this town in order to take over the laundering business. And five murders have taken place. And now he's opening a casino. And now he's working with a senator. But the senator shoots himself. Maybe it's like it just goes. That said, I was just worn out by the pace after a little while. 
It is a lot. The episodes are all, they're a true hour, all of them. And they are dense. So, so, so much happens. And so I, I started watching Ozark 14 days ago and I finished the entire series two days ago. So I watched the entire. You're a mad Wow. <laughs> Wait, and the- there's three? Is there three seasons? Three seasons, yes. Yeah. Of so this 12. Is what, of 10. Of 10. 10. Okay. Can I ask you an honest question? Always, please. I have no secrets from you. Previous to this, yeah. have you been not watching Ozark to spite Chris Ryan? Yes. So th- okay. Yes. This is one of, this is one of yes. the things. I really feel like I owe Chris a formal apology. Oh, wow. Wow. Because he has been saying to me for years, years, you would love this show. Just give it a try. Just watch one episode and get back to me. And I have known Chris for the better part of a decade. And I don't know why I didn't believe him that I would love this. And I I started it the other night. I was just like, listen, season three just dropped. No time like the present. I'm looking for a new story to fall into. Why not this? I get something to text Chris about. And boy, has he received a number of text messages from me about it. And I just couldn't stop. Once I started, I just could not stop. It was as, as addictive as the uncut heroin from the Snell family farm (laughs) before Darlene fucks with it, to be clear. I don't know. It's not a perfect story, certainly. But I think the acting is really exceptional. Mm. Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, and Julia Gardner, who plays the truly incomparable Ruth, are just at at another level. And then this is one thing I love about it. It's one of the rare shows where the kids are not basically weighing down the show. Like, there's no Paige from the Americans, sorry, Paige, in this show. I think that the Charlotte and, crucially, the Jonah character are so additive. And the fact that this is an entire family crime enterprise, like, should be ridiculous. But I just think they make it so inventive. And, you know, we always talk about theme more so than plot. I think the plot is really interesting. But I think the show as a study in humanity and the reason that people behave the way they do, the underlying assessment of, like, it's about a lot of things. It's about greed. It's about hubris. But I think it is at its core about purpose and how far self-interest can drive you when you masquerade it as, as empathy. And as a justification for doing things for other people when it's really for yourself. And it's about power and family dynamics. And I just, it's really fun to watch. There are so many little delightful side characters. I really would highly recommend it. I think it's excellent. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm with you now. So the only reason that I I watched, I can't remember, I think four episodes of season one. Okay. Okay. And I watched them because Chris was hyping it so much on The Watch. And I was going on an episode of The Watch. And it was, I think, his 40th birthday or something. So I I went on and I said, as your birthday present, I have watched four episodes of I this show. I remember this. Yeah, and so, and, this. and so we talked about it. And, and, I, and I did. I enjoyed it. I just then never followed through. So I agree with you. I, I think that cast is fucking stacked. I think, you know, the world, I like a pulpy, crimey noir that isn't long and languid and drawn mm-hmm. out. Like, that's the thing that I enjoyed about it was the pace is like what other shows stretch out over three episodes they do in one. Yes. yes. Um, 
I will get into this. I will. Uh, well, here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. Because I will allow you guys to assign a show that Ooh. I will come back and talk about if you want. Oh, wow. It, within oh, wow. reason, I guess. Because I will do Ozark. I would also do, I know another Mal favorite, which I've never seen a single episode of, Billions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Also, never seen The Americans, which you just mentioned. Oh, my God. Well, I don't feel like I could. I, I think it would actually be a betrayal if we took that away from Greenwald. You know, the privilege to talk That's about true. The Americans yeah. with That's you. True. That would just, I that should would, do that on the watch. Yes. If they ever have me back. Talking about billions with you would be would be fun. I feel like this is a serious, serious gift. The opportunity to watch a show. I don't want to commit on the spot because we need to take that seriously. The last thing I'll say about Ozark, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I'll try not to contextualize it too fully. They do something really smart where it is obviously it's part of the Breaking Bad coaching tree of prestige drama, clearly. But Marty, Jason Bateman's character, is not ultimately the Heisenberg. Another character is. And I think that, that that inversion of your expectation and subversion is like quietly really brilliant and a huge part of the success of the show. Great. I love it. All right. All right, friends. We followed Pimento's lead and tattooed every question that we wanted to remember to ask all over Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that, of course, you are staying healthy and safe. Social distance. Wash your hands. Please be safe. Please stay healthy. If you are performing essential services, we thank you wholeheartedly. And if you yes. are able to stay home, we thank you for that as well. We will be back with you tomorrow for the second part of this conversation. And then, reminder, we will be back next week to chat about Saga. So use that intervening time to read the comics if you haven't or to read them again if you have. Until then, remember, as Pimento would say, the bond has been made. Let me just quickly just do this. Hold on. Why is this making a fucking metronome sound? I, I think I just did it. This is this is all go- <laughs> this is all going in the pod.